Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. You know, Lyndon, I can't help but notice that one of our teams has to play in a round robin, and is and one of them is guaranteed to make the Stanley Cup playoffs, but the other one has to play in a qualifier. The Habs got to step it up. Oh, Liam. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me on the show. And in regards to the Habs, uh, we'll be ready to hit the ice hard and get some wins. Montreal has always been. Um, a great team and a great city for hockey, I might say. In fact, Montreal should be a very exciting place for hockey this coming year, with the 2020 draft being hosted in the heart of Montreal. Also, I can't wait to beat the Bruins. Hey, man. Hey, just saying, we took three out of four in the season series, and the one loss, the refs made a questionable call on it. So, also, one of the games was an 8-1 to blowout right before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Alright boys and girls, today I'm joined by a man who most definitely knows enough to be on Hockey Night in Canada. Yes, that's a thing to all you Americans, Mr. Lyndon Walsh. Thank you, Liz. Thanks for having me. Yep, yep, yep. On today's episode, as you might have guessed, given what we've been talking about, in the second of three league resumption episodes, we talked the return of the NHL. And we begin by discussing the two hub cities in which the games will be played. Toronto, Ontario, and Edmonton, Alberta. What's it, oh, sorry, they're both in Canada. What's interesting to me is that the Toronto Maple Leafs and Edmonton Oilers will both be playing their games as long as they're in the playoffs in their home cities. Lyndon, do you think playing games at their home arenas will give Toronto and Edmonton some kind of an unfair advantage? You know, it's an interesting thing to bring up, but my honest answer is no. Um... I don't think we'll see an unfair advantage even when playing on home ice for the Leafs and Oilers. I mean, at the end of the day, the ice is ice. So if a team really wants to come out there and uh, hit the ice hard and outplay their opponents, that's what it's going to come down to. Um, It's also important to keep in mind that part of the hockey home ice experience is having the hometown fans behind you and cheering. Um, But with the current situation, it's going to be very drastic for the players to experience home ice. Um, For the playoffs, honestly, I think every hub city is home ice for each of the teams. The only thing that could potentially work out in their favor is, in Toronto and Edmonton's favor, is being able to stay at home. I don't know if there's it's like the NBA situation where every single team is being housed at two or three hotels, but if if that's not the case with the NHL, which I think it is, and Toronto and Edmonton have some kind of advantage. But other than that, there's no advantage at all. I mean, putting things into perspective, the Orlando Magic, you could make the case they have an advantage playing in Orlando. But that being said, they're not even playing at their home arena and no fans are going to be there. The only... Yeah, you know... Yeah, the lack of... No, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I, I think you brought up a good point that, you know, a couple of these players are going to have the advantage of staying at home. But also, you have to remember, these guys are on the road so much throughout the year, I think they kind of just get used to it. Yeah, and... I don't think it's going to affect the level of play that we see. I don't know if the NHL is planning on bringing crowd noise into games like they are planning to do in both the NBA and MLB, which, by the way, I think is amazing. But, all in all, I really don't think there's any unfair advantage whatsoever, Um, except for the fact that they may be able to stay at home, so I don't know if that's going to be the case, but... As long as there aren't fans in the building, there is no unfair advantage. You know, I agree with you there. Um, Well, regardless, Liam, uh, the 
Bruins should feel lucky that their hub city is in Montreal. Um, the Stanley Cup playoffs are unique this year. As for the 9 through 12 seeds in each conference have a chance to make the conference quarterfinals. In best of five series, the five seed from each conference will face the 12, the six seed will face the 11, the seven will face the 10, and the eight will face the nine, while the remaining four teams in each conference will play a round robin to determine one through four seeding. So tell me, Liam, uh, given the circumstances, do you believe that any of the teams seeded nine through 12 have a realistic chance at winning it all? Not realistically. I mean, obviously they have a chance, but it's not a very good one. I mean, I'm looking at a, take a, take a team, for example, like the Nashville Predators, a few years removed from the Stanley Cup Finals, but if the season hadn't been paused, or if the, if they just went right into playoffs with one through eight teams from each conference, chances are they wouldn't have gotten in. It would de- it would depend on a tiebreaker with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, so, but, chances are probably going to be low for anything happening there. Yeah, um, exactly. And I'd also take a team like the Chicago Blackhawks, who still have guys like Patrick Kane, Post is gone, they've still got Duncan Keith, they're only a few years removed from their dynasty, I think they won three cups in the early part of this decade, but that being said, they, if you combine losses and overtime losses, they had more losses than wins, the same goes for a team like the Arizona Coyotes, who were treading through mediocrity throughout the entirety of the season, so... I really don't I mean, think any team has a, any team seated five through twelve has a realistic chance. I think that the only teams with a chance in each conference are the top four. For the East, that's Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, and Philadelphia. For the West, that's St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and I mean, Edmonton. You you brought it up right there. I mean, you said like uh, Chicago and Nashville. I mean, these are teams that in the past, you know, five ten years. They've had half-decent seasons with them winning cups, you know. But this season, they're lagging so far behind. I just don't see it realistic. I mean, we want to see an underdog story. I mean, everyone enjoys that. Uh, we, you... did, uh, we did not last year. <laughs> Liam did not enjoy it last year. Uh, we'll just leave that on the public record. But, you know, if, if there's anything that this quarantine has really allowed for these teams that are playing at the top level possible right now, it's the fact that this quarantine has given them more time to practice, go over different plays, and prepare for what they're going to face. So I'm with you. I think this is really going to be a top bracket game. And yeah, we'll touch on the four months off threat later on. But, well... To say the least, it does make things much more interesting this season. You know, Lennon, a common source of problem last postseason was the lack of competent refereeing. Just ask the Vegas Golden Knights, Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, and Boston Bruins, all of whom lost the game in an all-but-one-case series, in large part due to a crucial missed call. It's been a year since that whole fiasco took place, Lennon, so do you expect to see improved work from the refs this time around? I know, Liam. As someone who officiates a sport, um, I understand the stress these guys go through um, to make even the tiniest of calls. And I want to remind everyone that these guys are humans. At the end of the day, we, we all make mistakes. And sometimes they do cause one team to lose or, or one team to win. I mean, that's kind of life. 
Um, that being said, I do believe these officials having a four-month break here are going to be ready to hit the ice and make the right calls. I think these guys are going to be back on the top of their game. It's basically like having the start of the season again. So I'm expecting to see some high-level officiating from the referee teams in these hub cities. What are your thoughts, Liam? Uh, and just to be clear, 20, in 2019, the NHL wasn't the only league to have messed up refereeing in the playoffs. You got the Nickel Roby Coleman game, Saints Rams, and then Game Five of the World Series. Garrett Cole throws a pitch way outside, costs the Nationals Game Five. But of course, the Nationals went on to win that series, and that's a discussion for another time. Time. And but to answer your question, Lyndon, the NFL refereeing in the postseason was much much better this past year. So basing it off that, the obvious answer is yes, it will be better. But at the same time, hockey and football are very different sports, and Hockey didn't undergo the extreme rule changing that football did over the past offseason. And no, you, I, you bring up an interesting comparison between the NFL and the NHL. One thing that a lot of people forget is that, like, obviously hockey has a lot less players on the ice. Yeah, I mean, there's also a lot less referees and officials watching. Um, yeah, so football. Football. You have like error. football. You have like ten referees on the time when you got twenty two players eleven on eleven. Hockey, you got five. You got five skaters, two goal, a goal, ten skaters and two goalies with I think three refs in total. But I yeah, honestly, they haven't gone through the same scrutiny that NFL refs have because the NHL isn't as popular as the NFL is in America. But I'll tell you, Boston fans. Vegas fans and Colorado fans, I can't imagine any of them being happy. So I, mean, I would, ex- the, I would expect. We're just oh. gonna have to see where it goes. I, and I would expect nothing less than for the officials to be on their A game. Okay, Liam. Uh, how about we move on to our next topic here um, and say, of course, you included the Bruins on the list of teams. Uh, host. Do you blame me? Do you blame me? I, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying the facts. Well, Liam, uh, before the season was paused, a huge threat to make a deep playoff run went on a six-game losing streak. That threat was the Dallas Stars, based right here in Texas. Uh, they had been right up there with St. Louis and Colorado at the top of the Central Division before that, but St. Louis and Colorado caught fire once Dallas caught ice. Now, the Stars must play in the Stanley Cup qualifying round if they want a chance to beat St. Louis and Colorado. The former having beating, beaten them in a two-time uh, two overtime Game 7 last year. William, do you think the Stars are going to be a threat this year at all? So, basing what up, so I said earlier that any team that's not seated 1-4... through four, has no chance to win, and I stand by that statement. Unfortunately, that statement applies to the Dallas Stars. I mean, they were, they've got the talent. They've got Sagan. They've got Jamie Benn. They've got Joe Pavelski. Ben Bishop's a great goaltender. Steven Johns is a good defenseman, as it, as are guys like Heiskanen and Klingberg. But at the same time, the Dallas Stars, they lost six consecutive games before the season ended. That's a recipe for disaster coming into playoffs. And even with the four-month playoff, I... You can't help but think that some of their confidence is shaken. I mean, I just don't think they can compete with the likes of the Western Conference powerhouses like St. Louis and Colorado and Vegas and Edmonton. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. I agree with you in the sense that I don't think they're competing for the cup, but I don't see them being knocked out super early. Oh, either. neither do I. I don't. I think they're going to get past the qualifying round, but after that, I think they're dead men walking, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now. You have people, um, people that are scoring, you know, fifteen to twenty goals, but it's. Is it enough? That's really the question that we're coming down to. I mean, do they have the ability to score and win some games? Yes. Win the cup? Very unlikely. How, yeah, I, uh, another thing is how... You mentioned that they have solid role players who are scoring like 15 to 20 goals per game. How are they going to shut down the uh, stars? How are they going to shut down stars like McDavid and Dreisaitl in Edmonton? You got Tarasenko and... Braden Shen in St. Louis, not to mention Jordan Bennington. And then Colorado, you got Nathan McKinnon, one of the best young stars of the game. And in Vegas, they don't really have any top-notch players, but their chemistry is probably the best in the NHL. I mean, who do they have going? They have Ben Bishop, right? Yeah, they have um, Bishop in goal. He's, he's 21-16-4. So, Honestly, I mean, quite mediocre. Yeah, it, it's nothing that's going to stand out, you know. It's just going to come down to a game-by-game thing. And like yeah, you said, and there's there's too many other teams with powerhouses. To make your point about it being... To compete. To, make your, to say your point about it being game-by-game, game, last year in Game 7 of the St. Louis series, Ben Bishop was great. He was great. It was, I was very impressed that he was able to hold St. Louis off until the second overtime. But they got no offensive traction whatsoever, and... You can only hold a team like St. Louis off for so long. I think it was Perron that netted the winning goal. But I'll tell you, if the Bruins hadn't traded the Star Saiyan, their season would look much different, man. One thing I alluded to earlier, Lyndon, is the effects of a four-month layoff. As we witnessed in the playoffs last year, extended periods of rest aren't exactly what you'd call a golden ticket. Or at least always. In fact, every instance last year in which a series is swept, a team that's Swept the series, lost the next round every time. This year, every team is at the same rest advantage, or disadvantage, if you will. Do you believe that four months off will have a major effect on the team's level of play? I mean, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit throughout the whole show. If there's one thing that I really think four months is going to change, it's going to be the energy level these guys have to play. I mean, it's like a little spring break before the end of a school year, you know. Everyone comes back ready to play. Um, I, I mean, the teams were just as upset as the fans to see the regular season go. Um, but if I were them, and still as a fan, I'm fired up to see where it goes. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a level of play. That's, I, that's all I have to say on that. I mean, I think the same. Months. I think the same can be said of all three leagues. Fans and players are fired up. I mean... Five days from now, when baseball comes back, the Nationals, Yankees, Giants, and Dodgers are going to give us two amazing games. And then the next day, every other team. Then, 12 days from now, when the NBA comes back, I think it's the Jazz, Pelicans, Clippers, and Lakers. Those are going to be two marquee games if there ever were one. And then, August 1st, that's the first day hockey action comes back into play. I don't think the Bruins play that day. But every other team will be fired up. The fast forward. The fact that it's twenty-four teams—that's a lot of hockey to be played. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! And the fact that 
it's going to be held in two cities, Toronto and Edmonton. I don't. I know. I know the virus doesn't hit Canada as hard, so it wouldn't surprise me if fans are lining up, socially distanced, wearing masks outside both Rogers Center and wherever the Maple Leafs play. Air Canada Center, I think, is where they play. So. I'm sure, I'm sure there will be fans in some sense trying to get outside and see oh. some hockey. But yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a tough four months, man. But you know, overall, it's not going to be easy for teams to get back into the swing of things so quickly. But do you know what is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. Moving on. Time to talk individual players and what we can expect out of some of the league's best throughout the playoffs. Let's start with goalies, Linden. Guys like Andre Vasilevsky, my guy Tuka Rask, and Jordan Bennington were among the best in the league before the season paused. What can we expect from the goalies this postseason, and who will shine among them? You know, in my opinion, I think the goalies are going to be, if not the most important part of this playoffs, a very key factor to consider here. And you know what, Liam, this will make you happy. For once, the person I'm watching is a Bruin you mentioned. Chuka uh, Rask is, you know, six foot three, 176 pounds, and he was a dominant figure during the regular season. He had just under 1,200 shots taken against him with a save percentage of 93%, which is pretty good considering that they didn't have a full season, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I want to see this finish, man make some plays. That's that's who I think is going to be a determining factor for the Bruins. Alright, so I've got my eye on, as much as I'd love to say Rask, I'm not going to say him, but I've got my eye on two guys here. One is Jordan Bennington, because in my honest opinion, if the St. Louis Blues had not called him up in January, they wouldn't have even made the playoffs, let alone win the Stanley Cup. As for, so... My question is, can he replicate that over another postseason? And does St. Louis have the willpower to go back-to-back? And as for the other guy, it's uh, Mike Smith, the starting goaltender for the Edmonton Oilers, who, even with their firepower offense, the Oilers' defensive play has not been what you'd call elite, per, per se. Their goal differential is only plus eight, despite being second in their division. So... It's cl- no one's going to deny they've got the five pi- firepower. They've got McDavid. They've got the end- leading MVP candidate in Leon Dreisel. I don't know how you pronounce his left name. You've got Nugent Hopkins. You've got Cassian. You've got James Neal. I'm pretty sure Milan... Is Milan Lucic on the Oilers now? Eh, I don't know. I'm not sure. All right, let me see. I, I want to... Yeah. He's somewhere in Canada right now. Oh, he's, he's, in, Cal- he's in Calgary. He's in Calgary. The are going to be the most important. Yes, I do, because they were the most important for the Blues last year. Game se- game 7, the Bruins could have gone up 3 nothing if it weren't for three spectacular saves from Jordan Bennington. It, it's those last-minute plays that, you know, either force a game into overtime or turn the puck over for the other team to have a fast-break opportunity. That's, that's the goalies right there. Yeah. They need to make saves, and they need to get the puck in the zone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, defenseman even scored a, a goal. Even scored a goal this year, Pekarine for Nashville. So, who knows what they can do? It should be interesting. So, switching gears now from goalies, defensemen are severely under 
undervalued in today's NHL. Um, as most of the high-profile stars are forwards and goalies, but guys like Victor Hedman or Alex Pietrangelo uh, and Shea Weber are never afraid to enter the spotlight. They don't really score all too often, but defensemen make the most of the big hits and are unafraid to drop the gloves whenever necessary. So, Liam, who's your pick for defensemen here in the playoffs? Okay, we got a little bit of hometown bias on one of them. One of them is a guy we were talking about before the show started, John Carlson, who, interestingly, is the highest-paid player on his team. On his team is Alex Ovechkin. He's the number one defenseman for the Washington Capitals. And, you know, they need... I, I think the offense is there that shows in their 240 goals, but their defense needs to step it up if they're going to make another cup run, especially against a team like Boston, whose defense has been really, really good this year. And then the other guy I'm talking about my hometown bias is not Zidane O'Chara, but Charlie McAvoy, the young, the young stud defenseman in Boston who has had a bit of a down year in terms of scoring, but... Goalies didn't exactly score all too often. And, you know, McAvoy, I mean, he's, in my opinion, on track to become one of the best defenders in the NHL. And this is a great opportunity for him to shine, especially with Chara nearing retirement. Hopefully the Bruins can win one more before Chara retires. Yeah, Chara's always a beast out there. Um, But I'm going to have to agree with you on John Carlson there, number 74 for the Washington Capitals. I mean, he came out as a player that is ready to play for a team. He wasn't going out there trying to make highlights for himself, but it resulted in him getting 15 goals and 60 assists. 60. Now, if he can move the puck around and get up to 70, 75 assists by the end of the season, I think he's going to be a dominant person to watch. Um, And just because you threw some hometown bias up there, I'll definitely say... I'm always a fan of Shea Weber. The guy's a beast. Thank God God he's there now, not P.K. Subban. You know... (laughs) Subban Subban will always be loved by Montreal. And he will always be hated by Boston. Yeah. Now, forwards are comprised into two categories, centers and wings. We're going to start by talking centers. Position that three of the biggest names in hockey, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, and Steven Stamkos all shine in. And it says a lot about the position, given that I could have named several other stars in lieu of those three. Nonetheless, centers are perhaps more gritty and hardworking than any other position, Lyndon. So who are you looking out for? You know, I'm going to go with the Maple Leaf on this one. Um, they might not have the home ice advantage, as we say, but they do have John Tavares, and here's why. I see him as a player that I want to have on the ice when we're man up. I, I also think man up in any hockey game, but especially the postseason, is a great time to capitalize. During the regular season, he had 21 points, seven of which were goals during power play situations. As long as he can keep his penalty minutes down and Coach Keith is ready to send him out on the ice, I think he could be a real player to help his team advance. And then, just saying, Tavares has not had the... uh... Greatest postseason success, just FYI. But the guy I'm looking out for is a guy who last year absolutely destroyed the Bruins late in the postseason, and that is Ryan O'Reilly, last year's Conn Smythe winner or playoff MVP. I mean, late in the season, I think he scored goals in each of the last four games, including the first goal in both games five and seven on Boston to which were both real demoralizers, if you will, as much as 
as much as you want to say what you can say about Game 5, that's a discussion for another time. And then, obviously, I've got my eye on Bergeron. And then another guy I've got my eye on, like you said, is Don Tavares, who has, regardless of where he's played, whether it be in New York or Toronto, has never had the greatest postseason success. I mean, he had, I, think he had, I think he's won one playoff series in his career. This, he's kind of like the... Uh, Lamar Jackson of the NHL, if you will. Great regular season player, terrible postseason player thus far. Maybe this is the year he can break out. Maybe Lamar Jackson can break out next year. Who knows? But thus far, he has done little to no impact. He's had little to no impact in terms of postseason advancement. So I'm curious to know if this is the year. You know, I, I, that's why I chose him. I'm really hoping this is the year for him, especially after four months off. I'm hoping he can hit. Hit the ice like it's a new season. I'm hoping that I'm hoping players. that Boston plays Toronto again and Boston beats them in Game Seven again. That's your goal. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> okay, Liam. Well, last but not least, we have the Wings. Um, each team typically has two on the ice at a time. One to the center's left and one to the center's right. And the NHL's two leading MVP candidates are Leon Dreisaitl, I'm terrible with names, and David Pashnak. Uh, both play the wing along with a player many consider to be the best in hockey, Alex Ovechkin. The Blues' wing play was phenomenal last year and was a key reason why they won the Cup, Liam. So which wings do you have your eyes on? You mentioned the Blues' wings. I am going to be looking out for how Vladimir Tarasenko and Jaden Schwartz play for St. Louis, particularly Tarasenko coming off of an injury, in which I think he's been out since, like, November. So he's a guy I'm going to be looking out for. Also going to be looking out for my guy Posh, my guys Poshnuk and Marshan for the Bruins. A little bit of hometown bias there. But the other guy I'm looking out for is neither uh, neither Dreisaitl nor is it uh, Ovechkin. I'm sorry, I'm fumbling my words. But a guy who plays alongside Sidney Crosby, and that is Jake Gensel of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who was played a very, very key role in winning them back-to-back cups. That was three years ago now, my goodness. If Pittsburgh is going to get back to the... Uh, Santa Cup Finals, Jake Kinsel is going to be a big part of that. And they've got a long run ahead of them because they're not one of the top four teams we mentioned earlier. And I said earlier they don't really have much of a chance. But nonetheless, Pittsburgh is the best team in the Eastern Conference that wasn't top four. They have an easy first shot against your Montreal Canadiens. Just going to throw that out there. So he'll be a guy I look out for to try and challenge the uh, top four teams in the East. Oh, hopefully the Canadiens can uh, rough them up a bit. Mm-mm. So I'm going to go on a bit of a limb here and um, choose someone that most people haven't watched. Um, I want to see Alexander Radulov, the right winger from the Dallas Stars, come out and make some plays. I mean, he came out in the regular season with just under 20 assists and seven power play goals in the regular season. Um, So like I've said, two things I put emphasis on are the goalies and power play situations. If they can come out and capitalize on those, it's going to be a big difference, especially within this 2014 postseason. Uh, many of the points that were made were on teams that are actually in this 24-team postseason. So the fact that he can capitalize against some of these teams and knows how they play, that's why I'm watching him. 
I want to see if he can capitalize on his past experience. And you talked about no, goalies. Hold on, you talked about goalies and power play. I just want to say, last year in Game Seven, Tukarask had been dominant coming into Game Seven of the Cup Finals. The Bruins had been excellent on the power play and the penalty kill, for that matter. There was one power play for either side the whole game, and Tukarask was terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's about capitalizing on the little things. I mean, whether it's a power play situation or... Or a breakaway. ...giving a call your way or a breakaway, you're right. I mean, those are the things that are going to make or break these teams. The little things, man. Uh, It's true. But another thing we have to consider is, you know, what's triggering these power plays. It's the penalties, you know. So if if any of these guys we've mentioned can keep their penalty minutes down... I'm happy to watch them. As long as they're not in the box, they're, I'm ready to watch. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. 21 years ago today, July 18th, David Cohn of the New York Yankees became the 15th pitcher in NLB's history to throw a perfect game, completely shutting down the Montreal Expos. Cohn is not up there among legendary Yankee pitchers such as Whitey Ford, Ron Guidry, Goose Gossage, and Mariano Rivera. But none of the four achieved with Cone achieved, and Lennon just could, sorry Montreal is no longer a team. You know, the stadium's still there, though. The Olympic Stadium and the park where they played. And back when I did play baseball, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to a guy that used to play for the Expos. Nice. And so the best thing about the, best thing about the Montreal Expos is not only their logo, which you still see around today, but when you'd hit a home run in the stadium, it Just the sound of it, he said, was the best thing. So 44 years ago, Monday, July 20th, baseball legend Hank Aaron hit the 755th and final home run of his career. Despite Barry Bonds eventually breaking Aaron's record, many still consider Aaron, and I know you do too, Liam, baseball's home run king. Oh yeah. 30 years ago, Wednesday, July 22nd, a 20-year-old kid named Phil Mickelson won the 90th U.S. Golf Amateur Championship. Mickelson has since grown into one of the game's biggest stars, yet is still seeking that oh-so-elusive U.S. Open Championship. One year ago, Friday, July 24th, a 19-year-old Hungarian swimmer by the name of Christoph Milak broke Michael Phelps' 10-year-old world record in the 200-meter butterfly, dropping a time of... One minute and 50.73 seconds. The time was 0.78 seconds faster than Phelps. And Millock should be a force at the Tokyo Olympics next summer. God willing. Fingers crossed. Okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. Lyndon, only one team in the Eastern Conference will make the Stanley Cup Finals. Which of the 12 teams in competition will it be? You know, I'd love to come out here and say the Canadians, but unfortunately I'm going to have to look the other way for this one. And I'm going to go with Washington taking the East. Like I said earlier, I really like John Carlson and their defensive line. Um, but they've also got people in their lineup that can play, like the veteran Ovechkin with his fellow Russian Kovalchuk and TJ Oshie, who's a fast little guy. Um, I think their roster is solid, and I I think they're ready to come out here fighting. If you ask me, it comes down to two teams, Boston and Washington, the two teams that have come out of the East over the past few years. The Bruins have never played well against the Capitals, but I'm sticking to what I said way back when, nine months ago, when I first made my season predictions. 
maybe hometown bias, but I'm taking the Bruins to make the Cup Finals. I mean, when Halak, our backup goaltender, signed a contract extension during quarantine, when when asked about it by the press, he said, I think everyone knows we have unfinished business. The Caps got their business done two years ago. We still need we still need to finish ours. We need to get Charles a cup before he retires. I think we're motivated. I think we're hungry. Even though Pasternak's stuck in quarantine right now because he came into contact with someone with COVID, he tested negative. He'll be back soon enough. I'm taking my Bruins. I'm sticking with it. Okay, so on to the West, uh, the conference from which last year's champions, the St. Louis Blues, come from. Is it a repeat, Liam? No, absolutely not. The team coming out of the West this year is another team that got screwed over last year by the refs, the Vegas Golden Knights. Thank God the San Jose Sharks are not in the playoffs for the rest to meddle with all of them. I mean, St. Louis, they... I'm spacing it off of the fact that no team ever repeats, or in the past, teams that have uh, won the championship next year have never done too well in the playoffs, except, of course, for the New England Patriots. So I'm going to base that off. I'm going to Scratch the Blues there and right and there. So, Edmonton, their goaltending needs to be better. Colorado, I mean, it's tough, but I just think Vegas has is a better team with better chemistry. So, I'm picking Vegas to go to the finals. Rematch with the past two Stanley Cup losers will meet in the finals. That's an interesting pick. I'll give you that. Um, but I'm actually going to go with the Colorado Avalanche for okay. my selection in the West. I mean, they're, they're a young team. Most of their guys are in their mid to low 20s range, and they've got a lot of room to come out here for months and make some big plays and capitalize what they've already done um, off of what they've already done during the regular season. So people on their roster like Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Nazim Kadri at forward have an explosive ability to get out there and score goals and assists. And McKinnon alone has 35 goals and 58 assists on the season. That's impressive. He's one of the many players on the team that could be a game changer. I want to see these guys get out there and succeed. So my pick for the West is the Colorado Avalanche. All right, last one, Lyndon. Of the two teams you've just named, only one of them will actually get towards the cup. I don't think there's anyone denying that. A seven-game series between both Washington and Colorado, or between Boston and Vegas, would be entertaining. So, and then, which of the two do you have winning? So, of my picks of Washington and Colorado, I'm going to take Colorado taking the cup here. I mean, I'd really like to see that happen. Um, they're in a tough position to start off with the St. Louis Blues and Dallas Stars, um, which they they don't have the best track record with over this past regular season. But if they get through those games with some wins, I, I honestly see them soaring to the finish line. I mean, that's it just comes down to that. Can they get over these first two games? And if they win those, I think they're going to be unstoppable. You know, maybe this is hometown bias, and I will take full responsibility for it if, in the unlikely event that this doesn't happen. But the Bruins have a great track record against Vegas this year. So, I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going to take my hometown team. It could be hometown bias. Who knows? But we'll see. If you think I'm being hometown biased, just wait till next week. I will prove to you I am not hometown biased, not predicting Boston for every little thing. More on that later. 
Well, folks, you heard it here. The two picks for winning the Stanley Cup for Liam Griffin are the Boston Bruins and for Lennon Walsh, it is the Colorado Avalanche. That's respectable. Well, that's all we have for today. I'm Lennon Walsh. I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Lennon for being my guest today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram, at Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me. Be sure to tune in next week as Charlie McGee joins the show to discuss the resumption of the NBA season and the controversy surrounding the WNBA's handling of the Elena Deladon situation. Please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive, and we will see you next week.